0: peter's wrists the word of the lord so we continue our study in the book of acts which we've entitled against all odds how the name of jesus spreads we gave it that name against all odds because at every turn the mission of the church which is to spread the name of jesus faces opposition that's certainly true of our text today but what's equally true of our text today is that god intervenes To frustrate that opposition in what I am calling a happy interruption. Happy for God's people, that is, not so much for those against God's people. I'm sure you've experienced a happy interruption from God. One of the most meaningful happy interruptions in my life allowed me to be introduced to Jesus. It was 1994, I was 18 years old. I had been in America, in New York City for only two months. It was April, so it was still quite cold. And the only two people that I knew in the city were my dad and his girlfriend. So it was Sunday evening when two guys invited me stopped me on the street and they invited me invited me to their church i was a couple of blocks away from my apartment building coming from the subway station so when they motioned to talk to me i had voices in my mind going into hyperdrive. don't talk to strangers new york is full of crazies which it is but not only now my dad a true new yorker would never stop to talk to anyone on the street about anything especially not church But I did. I stopped and I started talking to them. And so they invited me to their church, which I did not want to go. But they kept talking to me and then they invited me to study the Bible with them. And I said, yes. And so we got together and two days later, I became a Christian. Now, imagine if they had given up after I said no to going to church with them. Don't give up on the people that God is sending you to. But here's where the happy uh, interruption comes in. My dad, his girlfriend, and I had spent a weekend upstate New York. And so when we were getting ready to come back into the city, we got into the car, and the car did not start. It did not. I mean, they tried a few times. It just, it was not working. And so what they decided to do was to take me to, uh, put me on a bus to the city, and then they were going to take the car the next morning, have it fixed, and then head back in. So that was their plan. But that didn't work. And so, and, and so they're putting me in the, on the bus uh, resulted in my being alone by myself as I'm walking home so that I could talk to these guys. Because again, if my dad had been with me, not in a million years would we have stopped to talk to these guys. Here's what's crazy. So I talk to the guys, we make an appointment for the, to me the next day, and I get home. And I'm home and I've been home for about an hour. And then my dad comes in. And I'm like, uh, dad, What are you doing here? I mean, it was his house, but what are you doing here? I thought you were going to fix the car tomorrow and come home then. And he said, we were. But when we got home from taking you to the bus station, we got in the car just to try one more time. And the car worked. Car was totally fine. So we just headed back in. There was nothing wrong with the car. An angel of the Lord, perhaps, I don't know, momentarily disabled the car. To create that space so that I could be introduced to these Christian brothers and become a Christian myself. That's a happy interruption. So, we're gonna walk through this text. We're gonna draw a couple of implications for our lives from this happy interruption in Peter's life. Acts 12, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick get up he said and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him put on your clothes and sandals and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me the angel told him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Now remember from last week that Herod, a group of the first, had uh, had James, uh, the brother of John, executed. And when that met with approval from the Jerusalem authorities, he went after Peter and he puts Peter in custody and he's to bring him to trial right uh, after Passover Meanwhile, the church is praying. They're praying fervently for Peter. But Peter was in prison and he was well guarded. We read last week that there were four squads of four soldiers each on him. That's 16 sentinels. 16. Now, why would Peter, an ex-fisherman, have to be guarded with maximum security like he's Hannibal Lecter? Why? Why? Because strange things tended to happen with the followers of this strange new movement. For starters, their founder had been heavily guarded at a tomb after being beaten to a pulp and crucified, and he vanished into thin air. And then later on, we read this in Acts chapter 5. Some of the key leaders of his movement get put in prison, well guarded. They also vanish into thin air. We read in Acts chapter 5. This is what the officers report. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. So Herod no doubt having heard all these things says to himself no way am i having peter vanish into thin air i'm gonna bind him up in chains lock him up in prison and put four squads of soldiers on him and yet the night before his trial now don't you love how god shows up not a moment too soon has this happened to you i mean it's like the the elevator doors are closing you're like god it's now or never and then bam He stops those doors. Well, the night before his trial, an angel of the Lord comes, wakes up Peter, and leads him out of the jail. Now, an angel breaking you out of prison is a happy interruption. Right? Now, first of all, I mean, Peter should not be in jail. He's done nothing wrong. So he's in jail unjustly. The ones doing the wrong are the authorities who will not bow down to Jesus Christ. And so the angel comes and he leads him out. Now, we could say all kinds of things about angels. Angels are created by God. They're sent by God to do his work and to minister to his people. They can have incredible power. In the Old Testament, there's an example of one angel putting to death 185,000 people in one night. Lots of power. They're not humans. They're spiritual beings, although they can take human form. We read this great scripture in Hebrews chapter 13 It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing. Some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Do you ever have strangers over for dinner? You might have had an angel. Did you know that? I'm sure Praveen and Joanna have had angels over to their house because they're having strangers over all the time now don't start inviting strangers over for dinner and asking them any chance you could be an angel the angel comes to peter and it says there that the chains fell off his wrist i love that we'll come back to that later on but clearly peter is still sleepy and groggy because the angel gives him step-by-step instructions he tells him put on your clothes and sandals and peter does so Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so Peter does everything that the angel is telling him, but he's not realizing that these things are actually physically happening. He thinks he's having a vision. Then they go past the first and the second guard. And then they come to the iron gate leading into the city. And this gate, a couple of millennia before things become automatic, opens by itself for them. Have you ever been running late? to get somewhere, and you're just hoping, praying, that you get all green lights. You're like, yeah, every Sunday for service, you know? That's what's happening for Peter. I mean, an angel of the Lord comes, chains are falling off, the guards might as well not be there. The gate is automatically opening for him. All of this is happening. And so once Peter is securely out of jail and in the city, The angel leaves, and then Peter realizes what's going on. And so he says, in verse 11, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Well, let's read on, because this gets funny. Verse 12, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Okay, so this is funny, and Luke means for it to be funny. You know, Peter goes to Mary's house. That's uh, John Mark's mom. And the church is there. Many people from the church are there, and they're praying. Surely they're praying for Peter's release. But he's already free, which makes me wonder how often we're praying for God to do something, and he's already answered it. So great. Well, Peter comes to the house. He starts knocking And this girl, her name is Rhoda. She was a servant. When she recognizes his voice, she's so happy that she forgets to open the door. And she just runs to tell the rest. I mean, the iron gate to the city opened automatically for Peter, but not Rhoda. Rhoda leaves him there, knocking, and she goes back into the people. And she comes and she tells them, Peter is at the door. But they say, you're out of your mind. But she's like, whatever, I know what I know. No, she's not that salty, but she's firm. She keeps insisting that, no, it's Peter, you know, who is the one knocking. And so they think, well, maybe it's his angel. Now, it's scriptures like that one and others. There's one in Matthew uh, that gave the, the belief rise to the belief of a guardian angel, an angel that guards each different person. One commentator says that it was believed that this angel was able to take on the physical appearance of the person they protected. But they're coming up with all kinds of explanations some psychological, Rhoda's out of her mind, some metaphysical, it must be his angel, rather than the simple, true explanation that Peter was the one actually knocking. Well, once they finally go and they get him and they open the door for him, they're amazed. They're amazed. Verse 17, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, He cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So Peter tells everything that happened, and he says for them to tell James. Now, this is not James that has just been killed. This is James, the half-brother of the Lord, who wrote one of the letters in the New Testament and became a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church, a pillar, Paul calls him in Galatians. And then Peter leaves. We don't know where he went, but this is the last that we hear of Peter in Acts. Maybe he went to Rome, maybe to Corinth, uh, somewhere else. But God still had plenty of ministry for Peter to do, some 20 years or so. As for the soldiers, they're in trouble, big trouble. Because Herod, I mean, I'm sure he was enraged, and they start, you know, just cross-examining, asking where is the, the prisoner that can't find him. So he has the soldiers executed. Because that's basically, basically what the penalty became if the prisoner you were in charge of vanished into thin air you are done so that's the episode and i want us to draw out two implications two implications for our lives from this happy interruption first we can't put god in a box we can't put god in a box remember from last week that james was put to death with the sword Here we have Peter being miraculously rescued. What do we make of this? God will do what God will do. God will do what he will do. You know, he had many more years of ministry yet for Peter, but James' days were done. They were over. Now, we all know that our days are numbered. We all know this. But how God apportions that to each person, that's all hidden in his counsel. I remember at the height of the COVID pandemic, uh, there were two men that I knew well from my last ministry. And both of them got COVID. And both of them got it bad enough that they had to be hosp- hospitalized. And both of them, when they were in the hospital, took that turn for the worse. Remember? When you were, the people were there, you're like, ah, you were praying and hoping. But then you'd hear, ooh. And there was that turn where you were, you were like, oh, no, this is not good. So they both took that turn. But one of them went to be with Jesus And the other one fully recovered, just fully recovered. Now, this is not true just about death, but there are happy interruptions in all areas of life. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know where history is going. We think we know. We don't know. We don't know how our lives will Unfold. Now there are many reasons that I am grateful for Jim Hobbs, our executive pastor, but one of them is that whenever we're putting together a plan and we're working really hard on something, whether it's we're doing, we we're trying to hire someone, or we're putting a schedule together, after we worked really hard on this thing, Jim will say very matter-of-factly, "One thing that I know is that this plan is wrong." Which is a little bit like, "Well, Jim, then if it's wrong, why do we work so hard?" Right? But what's the answer? Because we have to. We have to work hard. We have to plan, all of us. But we also need to remember what James, the brother of the Lord, reminds us of in his letter. Instead of being pretentious, he says, we should say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Such a great word. Yeah, here's the plan. We don't know what the Lord's will is. Proverbs 16, verse nine says, in their hearts, humans plan their course but the lord establishes their steps you see we need to leave room for god actually that's not quite right that almost sounds like we need to do 90 percent then just leave the last 10 percent for god to do something that's not it god cannot be put in a box he will do what he will do i mean in this passage he interrupts he interrupts Peter's sleep, the church is praying, and Herod's plans to execute Peter. Interrupts all of that. Things turned out quite different from what Peter, the church, or Herod were expecting. Why? Because God does what he will do, and we want to welcome his happy interruptions. Some of his interruptions are not happy for us, but they're always good. They're always good. Today, we're just talking about his happy interruptions because that's what we have in the text. But here's the question for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? We don't want to just leave room for God. Mm-mm. We want for him to establish our steps, right? To order our steps. And so we hold everything, everything, including our very lives, we hold everything with an open hand. We can't put God in a box. Here's another implication from this happy interruption in Peter's life. God wants to fill us with joy and amazement. God wants to fill us with joy and amazement. I mean, think about this. This was a hard, hard time for the church in Jerusalem. James had just been put to death. James, he was one of the twelve. He had been with them From the very beginning, he was young. He was well-loved, and he's gone. And now Peter, now Peter's in custody. So these were hard times for the church. And yet the tone, the tone of this passage is light, even funny. You see, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. That's what Psalm 30 says. Now, what would make, what makes for the possibility, even the probability for our weeping to turn into joy? And the answer is happy interruptions from God. Happy interruptions from God. I mean, listen to this. The church was fervently praying for Peter, but they were not expecting They were not expecting this kind of deliverance. How do we know that? Because they come up, they try to come up with all kinds of other explanations for what's happening. I mean, Peter is knocking. Rhoda's telling them it's Peter. They're all thinking, okay, let's rule out the obvious. We know that it can't be Peter because he's heavily guarded in prison. So what else could be happening? Has Rhoda been hearing voices lately? Anyone? Okay, maybe that's it. Right, they're, they're thinking of everything. God wants to surprise us. Did you know that? God wants to surprise us. People love being surprised, happily, that is, happily surprised. And I've noticed that when we love someone, we love surprising them. And I'm sure you've seen this. And the person working on the surprise is filled with joy. You know, they're working on their, like, Oh, and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. And it's going to be amazing. This whole plan. And the person being surprised when the surprise breaks, they're full of joy. So this is like a mountain. It's a, it's a love fest. It's a joy fest. Surprises. God is like that. He wants to surprise us. I mean, he, he had a big present for the weepy Jerusalem church, and he made their day. He made their day. Do you know this? Did you know that God wants to happily surprise you? Do you have a well-defined category for happy interruptions from God? Or do you think that, oh, no, based on my past, everything that's following in my future is going to be horrible? You don't know that. Do you know God? Now, let me address an obvious question. When we're talking about a display of power, like the one that we see right here in Acts chapter 12. You know, the Bible has many incredible displays of God's power uh, in the scriptures, but not as many as you would expect or hope for, for a book that spans some good 2,000 years of history, God's history with his people. And so here's the question. The question is this. Why doesn't God do this all the time, or at least more often? Haven't you wondered that? I have. It's like, oh, God, why don't you do miracles and incredible things like this more often? Well, let me give you three quick reasons. First of all, we would live always looking for signs and wonders, right? We would just live, oh, and there are some people. That's where they live. Always looking for signs and wonders. And yet, the Jerusalem church, was not expecting this kind of miraculous deliverance. We've already covered that. Even though many of them had seen amazing things happen in their days. So they were praying. What were they praying for? A number of things. Perhaps that Herod would not kill Peter. Perhaps that Peter would have strength and courage in this trial. Maybe that they would not lose their nerve in testifying to Jesus. On and on. All kinds of things they could have been praying for. But you see, it's tempting for us when we serve such a powerful God as our God to want to have him on call. Like he has our number and his favorites on his phone, you know, so that when we call, our call goes to the top of the line, right? That's what we want. Now, we are God's people. We are his children. He loves us, but he's not about feeding our lust for the spectacular And so, if he always did this stuff, we would always live just looking for signs and wonders, signs and wonders everywhere. Here's another reason God doesn't always do what we see him do here in Peter's deliverance. There are other things that God wants to teach us. There are other things God wants to teach us, like patience. Suffering and hardship do things in us that quick deliverance does not. Did you know that? Suffering and hardship do things in us that quick deliverance does not. I've had some short seasons of testing in my life, but it's the tests that have lasted sometimes for years that have shaped me most fundamentally. And another reason God doesn't always do this is that we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. If God was constantly sending angels to bail us out, that would be disruptive to the maturing of our faith. I mean, think about this. If Ann and I were having a fight, we're in the middle of a fight, I mean, just like one of those, uh, and if if instead of having to listen to each other and humble ourselves and trust God, an angel of the Lord came and just sorted it all out, that would be really nice. I'm not going to lie. But we wouldn't grow up. We wouldn't grow up, right? It's in the struggle that you grow. We're talking about happy interruptions. They're interruptions. They interrupt the normal trajectory of life, but they are not the normal rhythm of a life of faith. Other faith muscles get worked out. When we trust God, and deliverance does not come. There are other parts. When that happens, and maybe you're there, there are other muscles of your spiritual life that God is working on and developing. But, having said all of that, let's not live like our secular neighbors who believe that there's no rhyme or reason to life and everything's just getting worse and worse and if you're lucky and that's the best you can hope for luck if you're lucky you'll be all right that's not what christians believe that is not what we believe so let me leave you with this believe believe that god will happily surprise you believe that god will happily surprise you Have a category for that. Don't live always for the spectacular, but believe that God will happily surprise you. Listen, when I read Acts 12, I'm reminded of God's power and presence and goodness and love for us and how he wants to amaze us. I'm reminded to live in awe of who God is and what he does. I, I know, and he knows that we need help. He knows that we long, we long for our weeping to turn into joy. And we're trusting him for it. We're trusting him. And so what kind of happy interruptions do we want from God? What kind of happy interruptions do we want from God for our addiction to turn into connection? Yes, we want that. We want for our addiction to turn into connection. If you are addicted to drugs or to alcohol or to spending or to pornography or to video games, or to a number of things, you are alienated from meaningful, restorative relationships. What you crave the most, what you're longing for the most, is connection with God. That's what you want the most, but you're seeking it in your addictions, but they cannot deliver. What you need is connection, and so wouldn't it be amazing if one day, a happy interruption from God, knocked you off your socks, and that addiction of yours that has such a tight grip around you, that strong, the chokehold on you, loosened up, and you were free. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, Peter was sleeping, and the chains fell off his wrist. They fell off. And so imagine if in your sleepy stupor, God let you by the hand out of that cave out of that grave and the booze and the drugs and the images became utterly meaningless and tasteless to you repulsive really have you ever put something into your mouth that's so foul you reflexively spit it back out do you know what i'm talking about that's what we want with your addictions that would be a happy interruption oh lord please ring those happy interruptions that's what we want what other happy interruptions do we want from god for our plans to be wrong, but for God to establish our steps. Who cares if our plan is wrong? Let it be wrong. As long as the Lord establishes our steps. You know, back in 2008, I was in India for the summer for business. And while I was there, the Lord just gave me this intense desire to to study his word in depth. And so I wanted to, that's when I started like praying and dreaming about going for a master's degree and maybe a doctorate. But I knew that whole thing was going to be very expensive. And so my plan was, uh, as I shared with you before, to save money from the engineering firm so that I could put myself through school and uh, support my family. That was my plan. That was not God's plan. But he still had an incredible plan and he put me through school and he taught me his word and he provided thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But he did it through my church, through my friends, through other means. And along the way, he taught me humility and deeper trust in him and he grew my love for his people. And so he still gave me the desires of my heart, but according to his plan, not my plan. That's a happy interruption. Who cares if our plans are wrong, guys? Okay, who cares if the things that we, you know, we, we plan for the next five years, for the next 10 years, here's the 10 things that I'm gonna accomplish. Hey, plan, we need to do those things. But just know that you know what? What we really want is for God to do what only God can do. And finally, what other kind of happy interruptions do we want from God? For our hopeless prayers to be wildly answered, for our hopeless prayers to be wildly answered. You know, it was early, early in 2020. My oldest daughter and I were supposed to go to Thailand on a medical missions trip, and so, um, and so the the latter half of 2019. We started preparing for it. We were meeting with a team every month or so, preparing, going through different things. She was raising support. We were so excited. She was like, wow, this is amazing. But then at some point in the fall, she started uh, thinking that she was not going to be able to do the trip. Uh, she was going through some personal struggles, but she just did not think that she could do it. And I struggled. I felt like, What? Wait, what? No, God is in this. All your support's already in. You gave your word. You're going. But that did not feel right. <laughs> that's how I was feeling, and she knew that's how I was feeling, and everybody knew that's how I was feeling. And so I started praying and getting counsel and talking with Ann and just wrestling with this whole thing. And, uh, but I was so sad because I was like, this is going to be like the trip of a lifetime for us. And yet, at the end of the day, it felt we were like, no, you know what? The right thing is for her to make the decision. And so that's what we did. And we said, you make the decision between you and the Lord. And so she did. And she decided not to go. And that was so hard. And so it was the last training. We had the last day of training. And she was coming with me to the training to tell the leaders that she was not going She hadn't told him yet, but while we were doing the training, one of the trip leaders, and he was not a worship leader at all, he was a dentist, uh, but he was teaching us a song. He had his guitar on, and he was teaching us a song in the language of the congregation in Thailand. And while he was sharing this with us, at one point his voice was breaking with emotion, and he said to us, "When, when you hear... The Christians singing to Jesus in their language. It will wreck you. That's all he said. And in that moment, my daughter heard clear crystal from the Lord. That she was supposed to go. And so she went. We went. And it changed her life. Talk about a happy interruption not a moment too soon forget the elevator doors closing i mean they were shut they were sealed uh it was done as far as i was concerned but god god is the wild factor he's the wild factor always and so maybe maybe you have prayers that feel hopeless to you Maybe you have plans that you will not surrender to the Lord. You don't hold them like this. You hold them like this because it's too painful or too disorienting to consider this. Maybe you have addictions. You've lost the will to fight. Don't put God in a box. God will do what God will do. He broke Peter out of prison through an angel. When Peter or the church, or Herod, we're not expecting it. Don't put him in a box. Listen, Jesus, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane had angels come and comfort him, but they did not save him from death. He had to die because his death secured our weeping, turning to joy for all eternity. Jesus' death and resurrection were the happiest interruptions the world has ever known. Can we praise God for that? Can we praise Him for those happy interruptions? Listen, sin has been conquered, death will meet its death, evil will cease. God will have His people. the earth will be remade. If God is for us, who, who can be against us? Believe, believe that God will happily surprise you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We come before you right now. Aware, dear God, that you cannot be put in a box, that you, oh God, know all things, and you hold all things in your sovereign hand and will and purpose, So I thank you, dear God, for these passages in scripture that build a different kind of muscle of our faith to trust you, to believe you, to know that you have incredible things up your sleeve that we just don't know. Not yet. Father, help us believe you. Help us know that you're more than able, that you can do the impossible. Oh God, we love you. Fill us with faith today. Put smiles in our faces. I pray you do this for everyone here. Put a smile on their face. Even this week, Lord, like you said, why don't you walk with me to see a miracle? Oh God, forgive our lack of faith. Forgive our lack of faith. Forgive when we believe, when we think that we know exactly how the future will go based on the past. Why? We do not know what you are up to. We love you. It's in the name of our precious Savior that we pray. Amen.